listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks to everyone for joining us again for episode 206, and it's the first Friday Q&A of June. Yep, and everybody, we chose not to release this first Friday Q&A last week because we felt there were much bigger things going on in our world. So, but we're releasing it now. And speaking of releasing it now, we got some reviews. Yeah, so we got a five-star from Travis Moran. Concise, informative, current, and relevant. A great way to stay on top of the industry's issues and trends. Well done. We also got one from... Ian, truly fantastic five stars. Whew, I'm gonna stay a while to read this one. Mark and the team are awesome. They have helped me out immensely as a recent graduate entering the oil and gas space. I was laid off from my dream oil and gas job after a month of working and started working night shift at Amazon, where I found this amazing tool. Not only did it help me get through the tough shifts, it also motivated me to get back on the train and keep applying for jobs based on what they have said on their podcast. I'm happy to say now that I will begin working oil and gas shortly. Congratulations, Ian. Thanks again to Mark and team for keeping us updated with sound information and helping out the everyday guys like me. Ah, good reviews. But this first Friday Q&A, we got questions. Let's get into it. Okay. First one's from Carlos. He's an engineering intern at Patronus Energy, LLC. And the question is, with the cost of barrels of oil so low for refineries, do you see other alternatives like Fisher Tropsch products, specifically the wax products, being an alternative profit profitable market yes i think the fisher trops products i think are gonna be a higher margin downstream product i'm not so sure about the wax side of it i'm thinking more like the synthetic lubes and synthetic fuels you know Paige and i both run synthetic motor oil in our vehicles and that's starting to become more and more of a mandated requirement and so i I think that's gonna be a higher margin bigger piece the wax side's always there but this is, if, in case you don't know what Fisher Trops is, it's a description of a chemical process that is, I'm not going to go too deep into because honestly, I struggled with chemistry in college, but it's just one of those things that's very common in the refinery process. And, and like I said, I think the synthetic fuels and lubes market are going to be a higher margin piece of the business than the waxes. And I think all of that is going to be higher margins than fuels, especially here in the US and in Europe. You struggled with chemistry in college. I struggled with it in high school. I can't believe I'm going to admit this. My last semester of my last year, I had one class and it was bioorganic chemistry. During my college career, I'd taken that class four times and dropped <laughs> it four times and I had to make a C in it. And I did, actually, I'm not going to, anyway, I made a C in it. I'm not quite sure how I made a C in it, but you know, thank big pat on the back to my professor because I needed that class to graduate. Yeah. Yeah. I struggled with organic chemistry. I believe it. All right. So the next question is from Joe LaVisca. I hope I pronounced that correctly. He's an educator at Montana State University. Hey, guys, I teach leadership and systems thinking at MSU. You might call me an environmental realist because I want to see the civilization transition into using renewable energies. But I also know that petroleum is always going to be something we need. My questions are, ooh, When you look at the future, let's say 200 years, are we still going to be burning fossil fuels at an increasing rate? Let's address that first, Mark. No, I don't think so at all. At some point, we'll hit peak fuel demand. You know, electric vehicles make a whole lot of sense and from a bunch of different ways. We talked about in the last, I don't know how many shows I've talked about it. We need a breakthrough in battery technology. That will definitely happen before the next 200 years. 
Now, we're still going to use hydrocarbons to make stuff, but I think using hydrocarbons for fuel will definitely in 200 years have declined. I'm going to say probably about 50% from where we are now. The one thing to remember, though, is electric vehicles are wealthy nations vehicles so 200 years now whatever countries are still you know coming out of their rural background they're still be running internal combustion engines because they're just so cheap to manufacture and to operate so the next question is if not how can we shift our behavior now so that in 200 years we will be prosperous and healthy so this is an interesting question i'm gonna take it out to a little bit bigger step because i think i know where you're going with this joe and what you're wanting to to talk about is their behaviors that need to change so that we don't burn as much uh, hydrocarbons for fuel. And quite honestly, yes. And it's actually the biggest obstacle overcome is we have to decrease the demand, which means things like you have to decide not to jump on an airplane. You have to decide to ride your bike instead of drive your car. You have to decide that you don't run as many errands. And that's things that are really hard to change, especially here in Europe, because we're just so used to doing it. You have to make a decision to take more public transportation. You know, and so that's the type of behaviors that need to change, including things like consumption. I mean, how many of us order something from Amazon, it gets delivered, and we throw the plastic box away and don't think twice about it? I mean, it's just what we do. And if you really, really, really want it to back off the use of hydrocarbons, that's the type of stuff that's going to have to happen. Do I think it's going to happen? In some ways, yeah. Do I think it's important for those behaviors to change to make sure that we don't pollute the planet? No. You know, our air and water pollution peaked in the 70s. We've gotten better at it every year here and in Europe. We still have the rest of the world that needs to catch up with us, but in 200 years, they will. There will. I really think 200 years from now, our environment is going to be literally pristine. I think our populations will not only have stabilized, I think our populations have started to decline. I think environmental impacts to health from a dangerous level, such as dying by starvation or cold or flood or heat, I think that will have just literally be disappeared. So I think 200 years now, if you're a Star Trek fan, you think of what Earth looks like in the Star Trek movies, that's what I think will be. It's almost going to be like a utopia. That's weird to think about, but okay. So the last question is, do you all see a movement for a just transition to renewable energy sources as something that is needed? Realistic? Love to hear some of your thoughts. Obviously, I'm not working in the industry, but I do understand how critical th this industry is to do the right for the world. So keep up with you all and appreciate your coverage. Thanks. We're already in the just transition renewable energy movement. I think some of it's been overkill. I think a lot of people, when they hear renewable or wind or solar, think that it's automatically better for the planet. In, a certain, in the right situations, it is. And in other situations, it is not. There is an environmental impact for every windmill, from every solar installation that's out there. And if you really, really, really want it to have a very low environmental impact in generating energy, we'd all go nuclear. That's the least impact, safest way to do it. But back to your original question, one of your questions about behavior the behavior of accepting nuclear was ruined by Greenpeace in the 70s. Nobody wants nuclear anymore. Although if you look at the stats, if you look at the facts, it's the safest, cleanest way to generate electricity. So, but, you know, Joe, we're going down the right direction and, and we'll continue to go around the right direction. And a big part of that is actually going to be led by the oil and gas industry. I do appreciate your candor, Joe. Thanks for reaching out. All right. Next question. It's from Jackson Stewart, which is a field tech for the big red one. <laughs> and we all know who that is, but we'll leave it at that. Hey, guys, been a big fan for years. Nobody puts out the quality content that OGN does. Here is my question. We run across old wells that don't seem to be plugged and abandoned properly here in Texas. Is there some place to report these potential risks? I actually know the answer to this. 
All you got to do is go to the Railroad Commission's website and go to the Compliance and Enforcement Division, and you can contact somebody there. Now, it's going to be based off of what district you're in, so you can look that up based off the map specific to that looking that up online. Yeah, we'll throw a link in the show notes. It's actually an interesting question. It's I would have never thought I would have heard that from a field tech from a service company, right? I would have thought the field techs would have been working in fields where the wells were properly P&A'd. And this makes you think, if this is one field tech and every now and then he sees a well that's not plugged properly, how many more of them out there? Well, yeah. And I mean, there are so many different things that could contribute to this. They could have gotten an exception from the commission. They could have, you know, just could be so many different things. There's different rules for different kinds of wells. Is it over 25 years old? I mean, you know, it's just all those types of things. It's obvious Paige's background is regulatory. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, that's where you can report it, Jackson. And thanks for the question. All right. So the next question is Samantha Redding. She's a project accountant at BP. And question is, Mark and Paige just love what you're doing. Nice to see a woman step up. Woo woo. (laughs) and rule the airwaves on the number one podcast in the industry. I saw you passed a million downloads. Congrats. With the COVID-19 lockdown starting to ease, what do you think will happen with all the postponed projects in oil and gas around the world? And I can't wait for your next in-person happy hour. Who would have ever thought I would be missing (laughs) other people this much? Hey, girl, right there with you. Let me tell you what's going to happen. Somebody's going to step on the accelerator for these projects. And Samantha, it's not just the oil and gas projects. Think of all the major infrastructure and construction projects around the world. They've all been put on hold. Now, oil and gas, we're in this weird place financially, and, and you know we've just lived through it. We don't need to talk about it. But in the infrastructure projects, that's a very liquid market. There's a lot of capital, and these projects have been, on, been put on hold. So I expect to see the types of jobs that you need to complete large, complex projects very quickly be in high demand, like project managers and like your job, project accountants, schedulers, portfolio managers, you know, all that sort of stuff. And so when you see all the oil and gas projects that were postponed starting to take off and then all the world's infrastructure projects that were postponed starting to take off and all the construction projects, it's going to be a mess, but it's going to be a good mess. So yeah, I think in your world, all the projects were put on hold and you know this as a project accountant, there's a milestones and delivery dates, right? And those dates and milestones have slipped well, people are trying to make you catch up. So just hold on. It's coming. I should buy her some coffee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Next question is from Frederick Lewis, which is VP of QHSE at Superior Energy. Hey, guys, longtime listener. First time writing in. On one of your recent shows, you had an anonymous question around an employee, what an employee should do if he, she knows their company falsified documents pertaining to a lost time incident. Not only do I agree with how you answered the that very difficult question, but there's another factor to consider. If you know that your company falsified records and you do not report it, you have now opened both yourself and the company up for further legal action. So like you said, Mark, you need to do the right thing and report it. You can do that 100% anonymously through the OSHA website. Keep up the great work. Yeah, let's put a link. Let's find that link in the OSHA website and let's put it up there because I'd like all of our audiences to have access to that. Yeah. If they're ever in this situation, they can go ahead and do the right thing without getting themselves in a pot of hot water. Mm-hmm. All right. So next question comes from Holly Winchester, which is a mechanical engineer at Valero. Paige, I'm so excited for you. Me too. You stepped right in and brought this podcast up to another level and Oh, you're so pretty to boot. Oh, I'm blushing. I'm <laughs> no wonder you're getting marriage proposals. <laughs> 
maybe you should maybe your next show should be about oil and gas dating oh holly <laughs> anyway she says my question is why are some of the renewable energy firms scooping up cast off oil and gas workers you would think that that would be the last people they would want to hire Good question, Holly. The reason they're scooping them up is, number one, they can get them cheap right now. Number two, it's the same skill sets and experience you need. You know, the skill sets and experience that you need to build a production platform in the Gulf of Mexico is pretty darn close to the skill sets and experience you need to build an offshore wind platform. Same way with, you know, the same way with if you're an electrician offshore, you still need those skill sets in offshore wind form. Engineering, if you're a mechanical engineer, those skill sets are needed in solar just as much as they're needed in refineries, right? Reciprocating engineers, same type of thing. So the skill sets that a lot of our employees have in this industry are valuable in other industries. Even things that you wouldn't think of, like remote ROVs. Think about the technique FMCs of the world that have some of the best underwater ROVs in the world to work on their trees and their plets and all that sort of stuff. Those same robotics can work on an offshore wind farm, right? So that's why they're scooping them up. Although I would be interested to sit in on the conversation between you know, an oil and gas mechanical engineer working on an offshore platform for a wind farm and the people that own the wind farm that are probably bashing oil and gas while the guy's making them money. I would love to sit on that. that. But the bigger thing, Holly, and I kind of joke about the bigger thing is if you're in our industry and you have skill sets and experience that you think only apply to oil and gas, you're probably wrong. There's probably other places you fit very well. Okay. So next question is a novel, really. So I'm just going to get to the question. It's from AJ, which is a mechanical engineer at a super major. My question, do you believe that a young engineer should make the switch to a career in petrochemicals or do you envision a stable future for refineries? And it says read below for backstory, but let me. So, AJ, I love you gave us this much detail. This is great for us. Our audience will be a year older if I read this entire thing. (laughs) So I'm not. But basically, AJ's problem is this. He works in a refinery. So think of fuel refineries. And he's wanting to know if he should make a jump over to petrochemicals. So if you're a layperson and you drive by a petrochemical plant and you drive by a refinery, you can't tell the difference. They look and they act very similar. Now, the petrochemicals has has a lot more complicated reactions going on. And please, no hate mail from the refineries. I know you have complicated reactions going on, too. But that's the difference. AJ, I guess it sort of depends on what you want out of your future. So my opinion is in the next, say, 100 years-ish The need for refined hydrocarbon fuels will start to decline. There still will be needed, but they'll start to decline. But the need for petrochemicals, which makes modern life possible, I mean, everything from the lipstick pages wearing to the cars, tires in our cars, your soccer ball to, you know, 85% of the stuff that's in a hospital emergency room all comes from hydrocarbons. That's all comes from petrochemicals. So the need for that will go up, especially as some of these other economies come up to Western levels. You know, think of China, Vietnam, India. This will be a bigger need for, much bigger need for refined products. So when you look at it that way, I would almost tell you that if you could make that jump, make the jump. The other thing is, if you've been working in a refinery for a while, would it be cool to take your, your experience, which is very similar to petrochemicals, and go do something different? But anyway, so that would be my two cents on that. But at the same time, our refineries are, are in a place where they're starting to evolve. You look at what's going on with the Meridian Group and their Davis refinery up in North Dakota, and they're going to build one here in the Permian. And that is a state-of-art mechanical operating system as, as humans have ever built. 
And I think that's the world of future fuel refineries. So, I mean, either way is fine. If it was me, AJ, and if you could make that jump, I think I'd make that jump. And the worst case scenario, you've done something a little bit different in your career, which is always good. All right. So next question is from Ludwig Hof. Did I say that right? Yep. He's a radio presenter at Hof Profit. What should the politicians do to protect free markets in the oil and gas industry? Taken into account, that is the backbone of many investment retirement portfolios. This is a great question because a lot of the world doesn't understand this. When you look at, let's say your dad's a firefighter, right? And he has a pension. I will bet you a lot of money that a big majority of that pension fund is invested in oil and gas stocks because they are predictable, they grow. And so so your dad's firefighter's future retirement funds is dependent upon the oil and gas industry doing well. And you'd be surprised. Some of these portfolios that have pension funds in it, sometimes it's 60 or 70% oil and gas companies is the stock they hold because they can predict it, they can manage it. And I've watched several large organizations, typically university organizations, divest themselves from fossil fuel stocks and suffer the consequences. And I've also seen a whole bunch of them say they're going to invest it. And what they really do is they create a third-party entity that they put their fossil fuel investments in. That entity then pays the endowments. And so then the university can say, we're not investing in fossil fuels, where the truth is they just put another company in between. So if you'd ask about politically, what should we do? Politicians basically need to stay out of our industry. The less regulation we can have as an industry, regardless if it's here in the U.S. or anywhere else, the better for us. We know what we're doing. Now, we still definitely need regulations around environmental compliance, around health, around safety. And then also we need some type of way for the bad operators to be punished. So I firmly support all that type of regulation. But the more regulation you put from a government on us, the less profitable we are and the less money that these big investment funds, these portfolios, and these retirement funds will make. So the less the amount the government can stick their nose in our business, the better. And here in the U.S., honestly, neither side knows our industry. We have one side that hates us, and the other side doesn't really know what we do. And that's a really bad bad combination where if you look at our cycles, a typical, say, offshore cycle is a 10 to 20-year investment You know, before you really start making money. Same way if you're building a pipeline or a refinery. Well, how do you mesh a 10 or 20 year investment cycle in oil and gas with four year political cycles? They just don't work. No. You know? And so good question. I love the fact that you come at it from an investment and retirement point of view, because most people don't realize that. But that's the answer. Just basically leave us alone. Let us do what we're good at. All right. So the next question is from Joseph Eustace. He's a mechanical engineer at Keystone Engineering. I wanted to thank you for helping the world keeping the world up to speed with the industry. Your insight into the geopolitics and finance in layman's terms is invaluable to a young engineer like myself who is not often exposed to those sort of things. I also wanted to point out that the street team's name is OGGN Street Team. And if you search OGGN Street Team, it does not come up on Facebook search. We need to fix that. I had to go to the main OGGN page and search for the street team to find the page. Might help to specify that in the pod to help folks who only listen on Spotify that don't ever see the show notes. I didn't know you couldn't see the show notes in Spotify. We need to look into that as well. Well, not only that, but there's also an alternative. You can just go to our, we can go to Oil and Gas this week, just the same place you went to to submit this question and the show notes are always there. So, but yeah, I'll look into that and see what I can do to make it easier for you guys to find it. And then he goes on to say, I have a year of landman work experience a year of mechanical design experience, offshore, upstream, and refinery work. 
and a year of midstream MVCS design. I've been laid off and I'm hoping to stay in the oil and gas industry, but as a mechanical engineer, the pertinent move seems to be to switch industries to expedite my job search. I've been looking into other sections of the industry that might not hit as hard. Management consultants said this with restructuring or midstream companies sealing with the glut. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on what sections of the industry would be the first to recover. So if you don't know what MVCS, it's Model View Control Service. I was going to ask. <laughs> Did you look that up? Did you Google that? No. Okay. I'm just kidding. Um, but back to his question. So, you know, one of the things I would suggest to you, Joseph, is look out of the industry, but use your industry experience to your benefit. So the first thing is look at the big tech companies. I mean, look at our sponsors. <laughs> have you noticed that a lot of our really big tech companies, there's a reason for that. They all have dedicated oil and gas sales and marketing teams, and they know their technology. But what they don't know is our industry. And with you having both refinery and upstream and offshore work, that is that is super valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would look at the big tech companies. They hire specifically for people with oil and gas domain expertise. And that way, you have a job where your domain expertise is still being used. You know, your mechanical engineer and your oil gas experience is still being used. But your employer doesn't care what the price of crude is, right? They make money regardless. The next step I would look is the big – look at the research houses. So look at the Deloitte's and the Accenture's. Once again, they have huge oil and gas sales and marketing teams, but their business isn't based – or their revenue isn't based on what the price of crude natural gas is going And once you get that type of consulting experience or that big tech experience, the funny thing is now you're more valuable to the oil and gas industry. So now a super major go, oh, my God, Joseph understands big data analytics and he worked with one of the big IT consulting firms and he's a mechanical engineer and he has offshore experience. He needs to be a VP over here. Let's see if we can poach him. So that's where I would go. And then, you know, what you really asked me is what part of the industry would be the first to recover. That's a hard one. This would be a strange answer. I think. The first part of the industry that's going to start coming back, and I think it's starting to happen now, is actually shallow offshore, like the shelf in the Gulf of Mexico. And then crazy enough, back on land here in the U.S., you know, one of the things about fracking, it's relatively easy to stop production as opposed to a conventional reservoir offshore. It's also relatively easy to start production. Please no hate mail. I know you can't just cut a well on and off, but it's much easier than you know, conventional reservoirs offshore. So I think that's going to come back relatively quick once the price of crude gets to where it needs to be. And I'm telling you, it's going to happen really soon. Not like next week, but it's going to happen the end of this year, beginning of next year. All right. So that's all the questions. Whew. Oh, so we actually got some good questions this time. Yeah. Speaking of good, if you'd like a really... <laughs> if you'd like a... So cheesy. If you'd like a really good shirt with a unique serial number and a chance to win really cool stuff, go to the website, go to the show notes, either click upper left, depending on Android or iOS. If you're on Spotify now, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I guess go to the show notes on the website. But click on the link, enter your information. We give one shirt away a week. We're starting to, the deliveries start picking up probably probably the end of this month. We postponed delivery just to make sure critical stuff get to people that need it during this pandemic. But on the shirt, the most important thing is that unique serial numbers on the chest. Write it down, keep it handy, and we're gonna, we're going to be giving away some cool stuff Based on those unique serial numbers, Paige, here's where I don't even want to ask the question. (laughs) The weekly rig count is 308, which is only 3% down from last week. Do you think we're going to go below 300? That's always a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to go out on a limb because I'm starting to see companies starting to hire in West Texas and people don't get excited, but it was better than everybody being laid off once you see one company hiring. Right. I'm going to say that we're not going to go believe 300. I think we're going to drop down to 301, 302, and it's going to stop and start inching back up. Let's see if I'm right. Speaking of being right, 
if you join our street team, that's can the somebody, right thing to can, do. Can somebody reach out to me <laughs> and so I can get some coaching for Mark's segues, please? Yeah. Go to the Facebook group, search for OGGN apostrophe S street team, right? OGGN street team. And you should be able to find it at Facebook. Join it. It's part of our all volunteer group. Uh, we're doing some really cool stuff with that. And then the other thing we talk about, the next thing is the monthly events email, which is we, everybody knows is not going out because there's no events, but there is a really cool event coming on Thursday, June 18th. You know what it is, Paige? Yep. I think I'm in it. Yeah. It's the first annual oil and gas podcast summit. It's going to be live streamed on LinkedIn, on YouTube, on OGGN.com forward slash live. We're going to have all of our sponsors there. We've invited every other relevant oil and gas podcast in the world there. We're going to have our vendor partners there, Blueberry, Zencaster, Audio Technica, Sweetwater. You know, our sponsors will be there, you know, IBM, Amazon, Technique FMC, Baker Hughes. I think there's going to be some giveaways too. Some giveaways. All of so our hosts are going to be there. We're going to have a great time. We're even at page. Not only are we going to have a happy hour, virtual happy hour after, we're going to have a bartender teaching us how to make cocktails at home for our virtual happy hour. Oh, really? That's neat. Yeah. And so come watch us. Come join. We'll put a link in the show notes. It's free to attend, but you need to sign up. And if you sign up and attend, Pay attention because I promise you, we've never done this before. So some of us could make mistakes and it's going to be funny. But it's our whole, literally our global oil and gas family. We need a blooper reel for afterwards. (laughs) We'll have a blooper reel for sure. (laughs) But it's literally the entire oil and gas podcast global family coming together as one to support each other and to make everything a little bit more fun while everybody's still kind of locked down. So, So go check that out. And then if you want myself or any of our team to come speak, me and Tim have this awesome duo. We can also bring a podcast to you. Uh, let me know. I've actually done several paid gigs virtually, which was the first one was weird, but then I've started getting used to it because don't tell me my people, but I was in gym shorts. I had a nice shirt on top. I was in gym shorts. <laughs> I'm um, pretty sure everybody's doing that, Mark. <laughs> yeah. So if you want us to come speak, let me know. I'd be happy to share details. And then while you're out on the interwebs, go to our website, give us your email address. We promise not to spam you and go to the LinkedIn group, our page. The page is probably the better place to go and sign up. We're over 40 some odd thousand. I've actually, I'm pretty sure I'm just lose track. We got a whole bunch of, bunch of y'all signed up there. Whew, a lot going on. Pete. Oh, and then don't forget next first Friday Q&A for July. Go to olandgasthisweek.com forward slash ask a question. Yep. So. Just remember the goal is not to stump Paige and I. The goal is to help educate our audiences. And if you want to help Paige, maybe you can have a conversation with her about my segues. I think my segues are great. They're, no. <laughs> no. All right. So this is a good point to get out of here. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. And here are our events on deck. Hey, everybody. Alex here with the events on deck. So due to current circumstances, of course, we are not able to have any in-person events. So I have nothing of that nature to update you guys on. But we have been hosting some virtual events. So OGGN is wanting to offer free webinars, live happy hours, etc. during this time. Since these events are not scheduled out as far in advance as in-person events, we would like to keep you guys updated via Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So be sure to keep checking up on that and we'll keep you guys posted on anything we're offering. It has been free. We want to offer you guys value during this time that we're all at home. So please continue checking in and joining us for these virtual events. We are looking forward to seeing you guys whenever we're able to have in-person events and hope you're staying safe and sound. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more 
at OGGN.com. 